you're probably all familiar with Isaiah chapter 6 and the magnificent encounter that the prophet had with the thrice holy God. When God cleansed him and God issued a, a divine question and commission to him in Isaiah 6 2. And Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here, here am I, send me. Another man who had a similar encounter with the living God was Saul of Damascus. He met Jesus on the road going to Damascus and Saul of Tarsus, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was never again the same man. And God would send him to a man named Ananias. And God told Ananias in Acts chapter 9 that he was not to fear Paul when God sent him to him after his conversion. And we read in Acts chapter 9 verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And may I draw your attention to those words, He is a chosen vessel unto me. Paul was not only a chosen vessel, he became a sanctified vessel, a totally yielded vessel, a sacrificial vessel, and a humble vessel who recognized the outpouring of God's grace upon him from the beginning to the end of his life. And that is why he could proclaim Near the end of his days in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul was a man relentlessly determined to fulfill God's purpose for his life. And that's the title of my message this morning relentlessly determined or relentless determination that defines the apostle paul as a missionary as a church planting evangelist as an apostle a pastor teacher a friend to many paul faced many obstacles and he had many enemies from within the church and outside the church but he never quit. Never, never, never give up. Romans 15, 19 is where we find ourselves. He says, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. 
Illyricum was in the northwestern part of the the territory there that Paul Paul visited, the furthest outreach there, Macedonia. But he says, as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard will understand. And I described that statement last week to go where Christ had not been named as a is a pioneer missionary spirit. And boy, we need them today. We need them today. We need pioneers for God. People, I want to challenge you young people, and I'm going to do it repeatedly through this message. What are you going to do with your life? Your whole life is before you. What are you going to do with it? Who are you going to serve? Can can you say like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me? We need young people with pioneer missionary spirits. What we, what we see next, as you have in your, your outline here, is the maxim that the good must be the servant of the best. The good must be the servant of the best. Romans 15.22, for this reason, what reason, Paul? To preach to those who had never heard the gospel of Christ, I have been much hindered from coming to you. That was his task. That's what he desired to do. But Paul's good intention at this time was to visit Rome. That's what he was saying. And we'll read that, read about that. He wanted to go to Rome, but a greater work prevented him from doing so. And that greater work was reaching the unreached. The good must be the servant of the best. There are things in our lives that would seem good for us to do. Even things we desire to do. But we need to ask, what is the best thing that we can be doing at any given time in our life? Of all the things that you can do, what is the best thing that you can be doing right now? And are you giving yourself to that, to that task? When you are young and raising a family, that is your priority, mom and dad. To bring your children up in the fear and the admonition of the, of, of the Lord. Because I can tell you right now, the world has set its sights on them. You can serve the Lord in other ways, many different ways. But the good must take second place to the best. What is the best thing that you can be doing right now in your life for the Lord? Paul said, I wanted to come to Rome, but I was hindered from doing so because I I had to complete my task of reaching these unreached people. Hindered, the word hindered there was used of of impeding persons who who would break up a road or place obstacles sharply in a person's path. So metaphorically, it was used of detaining a person. Paul was saying, I wanted to come to you, but I was detained by this greater task. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul says, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, we don't see 
what's taking place behind the scenes many times. But here is evidence of a demonic supernatural hindrance in Paul's life. Galatians 5, 7, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? People can hinder us. Again, young people, you've been taught the word of God. And God wants you to continue it. Continue in it. But there will be people who are going to try and hinder you from obeying the truth, from continuing on that path. In Romans 1.13, Paul says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you in Rome, but was hindered, he said, until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So Satan can hinder us. People can hinder us. The present work we are doing can hinder us. Verse 23, Romans 1, I mean Romans 15. But now having no more place in these parts, no more ministry in these parts, and having a greater desire these many years to come into you, whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you. That was his desire. Listen, changes in life and in the circumstances of our life bring new opportunities. And that's how we have to see it. But can I say to you today, bloom where you are planted right now. Bloom where you are planted right now. Do your most for the Lord right now. Maybe the only top opportunity you have, you don't know. You don't know. How long you will live, young or old. There is a night coming, Jesus said in John chapter 9, in which no man can work. That's why the Bible tells us to buy up the moment. Redeem the time. Because the days are evil. Well, Paul fulfilled his desire to visit Rome, I'll tell you this morning, but, but not according to his plan. Paul's desire would be fulfilled years later. But he had no idea about all that would occur before he would make it to Rome. And that he would go to Rome as a prisoner. That wasn't the script that he would have written for himself. But I have to tell you, God used it mightily in Paul's life to proclaim the gospel to Caesar's household. He says in Acts 28, 30, Paul, spelt, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him. And there were, there were Roman prisoners that he was bound to, or not prisoners, but guards. And they would listen to Paul. And they would listen to Paul t speaking to Christians and other people. And they would take that message right back to the household of Caesar, somewhere Paul never could have gone himself. So he received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. With all confidence, freely, no one forbidding him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Brothers and sisters, we must expect divine detours and delays as part of God's sovereign working in our lives. 
In the process, we cannot know what fully awaits us. But we do know the one who will never forsake us. Amen. And listen, that's all that really matters. Everybody can forsake you. Jesus will never forsake you. And he is all you need. Proverbs 16, 9 says a man's heart. That means his mind. Devises plans. Devises his way. But the Lord directs his step. I'm confident, right? That Jesus will never forsake me. No matter what would come my way. Someone once said it is better to walk with God in the dark than to go alone in the light. So don't fear the changes in your life. Make the most of them. Make the most of them. Psalm 31.13 says, They took counsel together against me. They schemed to take away my life, David says. But as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. And then he says, my times. The Hebrew word is eighth, E-Y-T-H in English. My times are in your hand. Hey, that's comforting, isn't it? I don't know what will befall me tomorrow, neither do you. But our times are in his hands. That's a good place to be, right? Proverbs 15.23 says, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. That's that word, eighth times. How good is it? Our times are in his hands. Ecclesiastes 3 wants us to everything there is a season and a time. Eighth to every purpose under heaven. Our times are in his hands. Our moments are in his hands. Our days are in his hands. Our years are in his hands. So perhaps you have a strong desire to do something for the Lord with your life, but you seem stuck in neutral. You ever feel that way? I just really not, I'm just really not going anywhere. Don't seem to be to be going anywhere spiritually, getting anything done for the Lord. Listen. Your time will come so long as you are waiting upon the Lord with patience and faith. Realizing that your times are in his hands. So again, to the younger people here today who have a longer life in front of you, you are probably not thinking about how you can serve the Lord with it. That may not be at all in your, your thoughts. You're young. You, you have all these other things to accomplish. I want to counsel you to make that a priority in your prayers. What will I do, Lord, with my life? What do you want me to do with my life? And open yourself up to him. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. That's a yielded vessel. The, Lord's, the Lord needs laborers to go into the harvest fields of the world. Who will speak for him? Who will go for him? You're my Lord. Send me. 
Verse 24, find an affection, expression of pastoral love. Whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. For a while. Paul wanted to be helped by them when he got there to Rome because his greater target was Spain. He says, I, I hope to be helped by you. I think he was looking for prayer support. I think he was looking for encouragement. He was looking for financial support to push him on the, the rest of the way. But we also see an example here of Paul's care and appreciation for the, the saints of God in, in the churches in Rome, the home churches. And it goes all the way back to Romans chapter 1, verse 8. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, throughout that whole Mediterranean world. Roman Empire. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way. And here's the qualification. Romans 1.10. In the will of God to come to you. For I long, and that's an earnest longing, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. In Romans 15, 24, he says he wanted to be filled with their company. You know what filled means? It means to be satiated with, to be satisfied with, to enjoy. I mean, do you feel that way? Do I feel that way about other believers? We want to be around them. We want to enjoy them. We want to be blessed and filled spiritually by meeting together with them. Listen, this takes time spending with people. And time is something that we all struggle with in the busyness of life. So it has to be planned. Fellowship doesn't just happen normally. It has to be planned. And a good example of the use of this word filled is in Acts 14, 16, where the scripture says, In past generations, God allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. He gave us fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So much to enjoy, right, that God has from the rich bounty that he's given to us. That's, what, that's how Paul saw fellowship, a rich bounty that he enjoyed. Listen, what we call fellowship, koinonia is the Greek word, is based upon a mutual Relationship, Paul described it as mutual faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1, 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you may also have koinonia, something in common with us. And truly our fellowship or our, our commonality, our, the common thing we hold together is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't have to know everything about you. 
I may just meet you for the very first time. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you love Jesus Christ and desire to please and to serve him, I can have fellowship with you. That's what we have in common. Fellowship is not about food, but it can occur around a meal, which Jesus often did. Fellowship is not conversing about sports. It's not conversing about work. It's not conversing about kids. It goes beyond those things. True fellowship will express itself in different ways. Conversing with one another about the things of the Lord. Worshiping together. Serving alongside one another. Praying together. Studying scripture together. Fellowship is not one way. It's mutual. It's iron sharpening iron. Listen. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. I, I just changed it a little bit. Ask not what I can do for you. Ask what you can do for me. That person sitting next to you. you do you know? That's what Paul says in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2, right? William Booth. Founder of the Salvation Army. When he was when he was ready to depart this earth after after doing so much work in the name of Christ, good work, they, they wanted a word from him to pass on to the next generation. You know what he said? Give us a word. They meant a speech. He said, others. others think of others before yourself i should point out that as far as the best evidence we have is concerned paul never made it to spain hitler strong desire to go there but some of our desires and plans go unfulfilled paul didn't even know when how or if he would arrive in rome so some of our best laid plans, they're denied, they're interrupted, and they're altered by God. Divine detours occur in the course of this life when we're moving forward and God puts out the stop sign and he redirects us to fulfill his purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're traveling somewhere and you want to get to your destination and you see that sign detour, it's a little annoying sometimes more than a little annoying, right? That is going to interfere with my estimated time of arrival. It disrupts your plans. It becomes a distraction. God does that. God is sovereign, friends. God can disrupt your plans. God can distract you from the things that you are doing and take you a completely different way. Force you to go that way. If necessary. Moses took a detour. Just slight. 40 years. How's that? 
40 years, Numbers 32, 13, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, not just Moses, but Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness, detour, 40 years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. They literally died in the wilderness. Those unbelieving, murmuring, complaining people, God says, they're not going forward. I'm not starting in a, in a new land, the land of promise, with that crowd. So I'm just going to detour you, okay? And you're going to wander around here in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation is gone. Wow. I could say this to you. Sin can be a big hindrance in your life. They could have gone, no problem, a few months into the promised land from Egypt. But sin got in the way. And sin became a hindrance that kept them out of the land and in the wilderness for 40 years. Paul had a divine detour. Acts chapter 16. There are times when sin hinders us, Satan hinders us, people can hinder us. We can hinder ourselves or God hinders us from something. Acts 16.6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, this is in Acts 16, Paul's second missionary journey. It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, preaching is a good thing to people who haven't heard. Paul wanted to go to Asia. He thought that was a good idea. He thought that was a good plan. But the Spirit said, detour. No, you're not going there. And after they were come to Mysia, they wanted to go to Bithynia. All right, God. That little detour here. I'll get back on to my, to my next plan. I'm going I'm to go to Bithynia. The Spirit said, no, you're not. No, you're not. Detour. The Spirit suffered them not. And they passed by Mysia, came down to Troas, not really knowing what was going on. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and beseeched him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, let me say something to you this morning. Don't wait for some kind of a divine sign. Don't wait for some kind of a vision to direct your steps. You have the word of God. You have prayer. You have counsel from others. Just start moving. God will direct your steps. Right? Stuart Briscoe said this, detours, disappointments, and delays are rarely pleasant. Listen, I'll say this, delays are not always denials. Delays are not always denials. He says, detours, disappointments, and del delays are rarely pleasant, but if they are truly from God, they are prompted by insights hidden from human view and predicated on divine plans not always understood at the moment by us in this, in, in, in this moment of time. 
And therein, dear friends, lies the problem. We get upset. We get disappointed. We get distracted. We get annoyed because we cannot see or know what God sees and knows. I have to tell you this morning that life is a long lesson on divine providence. John Wesley once said that he read the newspapers to see what was God was doing in the world. Sometimes we could read the newspapers. Nobody reads a newspaper anymore. They just go on their TV or their phone or whatever it is. And what you see is a total mess, right? The world is a complete mess. God is doing something in this world. Things we do not see and understand. We call it providence. Comes from the English comes over from the Latin. The word idea of pro meaning before and in video. A video before. Someone seeing before the things that we don't know and can't see. Providence is a doctrine of scripture related to God's omniscience. He sees all and knows all at all times. The distinction is that in his providence, God only, not only sees, but does. In other words, God provides for the future, which he alone can see. He governs the universe. Providence falls under God's governance of all things. Now on point out something else here. Talk about detours. Paul took a 2,000 mile self-imposed detour. He wanted to go to Rome and then on to Spain, but you know what he said? He says in verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister. And that word means to provide a service to the saints there in Jerusalem. You know, listen, Paul is not saying I'll be coming, but I got another brief stop along the way. I'm coming, but, but I'll, I might be there in a few days or a few weeks. He is planning on heading 1,000 miles in the opposite direction of where he wanted to go, which begs the question, how far would you go out of your way to serve somebody? How inconvenienced will you be to serve somebody? Really, I have a strong desire to go to be with you in Rome, but I got to go to Jerusalem. Thousand miles in the opposite direction. Ray Stedman says, as you qualified as first, Paul was an ambassador of Christ. And as the, and as the ambassador of Christ, he was going to personally take this offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem because it was the fulfillment of a prior commitment that he had made. He was willing to go 1,000 miles in the opposite direction to fulfill a commitment that he made. How good is our word? Right? How good is your word? How good is my word? Ray Stedman says in the 15th chapter of Acts, which tells about the council of the church in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were sent to Antioch 
with a letter to the church settling the question of circumcision for the Gentiles. They didn't have to be circumcised. In that letter, Paul was specifically asked that he would be careful to remember the poor in Jerusalem. Now, many years later, he's ready to fulfill that request. He had never forgotten it. So I have to say to you this morning, do not take on new projects. Don't make it a habit to take on those new projects or plans if you have a lot of unfinished business. Prior commitments that you have not fulfilled. Now, listen to me. Here is where I get myself in trouble. Believe me? And all of you husbands. I'm going to get you all in trouble too. Clean up the weeds in your backyard first. It's an eyesore. Maybe your front yard. Check your to-do list. How many items are still on it? How about the spiritual work you want to do? How many Bible studies have you began, begun, and not completed? How many unfulfilled promises you have you made to people? You know, some Christians are always looking for a new thing to do. I don't know if you know this about life, but people get very bored quickly. It's always something new. You always want to move on to something new. Without fulfilling, completing prior commitments. It's okay to plan and have providence alter our plans or say no to them, but brothers and sisters, we have to endeavor to be faithful to keep our word as much as possible. Finish the unfinished business. Now, Paul was not going out of the way to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. He was going to help them in a practical, material, necessary matter. The Jerusalem suffered under famine that was you know, began 10 years ago from prior to this writing, but the effects of that economically and among these people, the displacement, it just had a tremendous toll on them. They needed help, material help. Now, providing material needs, practical things, is, is not beneath our ministry as Christians. A church work day is no less spiritual than a church day of prayer. Both are needed. And by the way, we're going to have one coming up in, in, in June. So I want to challenge you. Let's get a lot done. We have a lot that needs to be done. Well, here we see the love of the saints in Macedonia. He says in verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contribution for the, the poor saints which are in Jerusalem. Now I want to read you a little paragraph from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about these, these Christians in Macedonia. These rich Christians in Macedonia. These mature Christians in Macedonia. No, they were not mature. They were new believers, young believers, and they were not by any means rich. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, Moreover, brethren, verse 1, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Pay attention to the words. If you're not there, get there. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's too important for you to just listen and not see. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, they were going through a very hard time themselves. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Here are young Christians going through suffering, having little of the world's goods themselves in deep poverty. And the spirit of God's grace and giving touched their heart. And it says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. You know what that's called? Sacrificial giving. They were freely willing. Nobody had to twist their arms. Listen, I, I never twist anybody's arms for money. We never have pressured you for money. You know that. We don't even take an offering. You have to be willing yourself to give. And that's what these people were willing to do imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but notice verse 5, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Sacrificial giving. Maybe it's not just money. Maybe it's you're giving yourself. Maybe it's going a thousand miles out of your way to serve somebody. Sacrificial giving begins with devotion to the Lord. And nothing will test your devotion to the Lord like what you do with your money. As Jesus says, whatever a man treasures, that's where his, whatever's the treasure in his heart, that's what has him. What do you treasure? What do, what do I treasure? Listen, I want to say something. Having been serve, serving you as long as I have as a pastor at this church, over three decades, I can tell you that this church has always responded quickly and gener generously the genuine needs that people have. You don't know because we don't advertise. But time after time after time again, all I have to say and the elders have to say is, we need some help for somebody in need. And boom. Whether it's on the mission field, the need, or whether it's right here at home, we are not a perfect church. Amen? Amen. They don't exist. We have our shortcomings, like all churches do. But we are a very giving church. And that is a mark of what James called pure religion, piety. It's Christian love without which nothing else really matters, according to 1 Corinthians 13. So I want to say, as the pastor of this church, for over 30 years, brothers and sisters, I commend you for your love. 
I commend you for your love in giving to people in need. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and, and help them. I remember we had a young widow in this church many, many, many years ago. And right after her husband died, I went to the house and I saw, I saw a group of grieving children, little ones, some who wouldn't even come out from underneath their blankets. And I came as an ambassador from the church to pray. And I said, how can we help you? How can we help you? Hebrews 13, 16 says, do good and to communicate. That means share. Share. Forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And God was well pleased with the sacrificial giving of the churches of Macedonia for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Listen, they were in poverty. Guess what? Lo and behold, somebody was in greater poverty than them. No matter what your need is, I want, you can mark it down. Somebody else somewhere has a greater need than you do. Find them. You can't alleviate everybody's suffering. You can't meet every need. This church can't do it. But we can do our part. And you could do your part. And if it's only a widow's might, because you have a couple kids to take care of or whatever it is, and you're going through a hard time yourself, I want to tell you, God sees the widow's might. And God is pleased with the widow's might, which was no small thing for her because she gave everything she had. The Gentiles recognize their debt to their Jewish brethren. Verse 27, it has pleased them verily and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty, as they saw it, was to minister to them in material things. It was the Jewish Messiah who brought the salvation to the Gentiles. The church started in Jerusalem on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They saw the debt that they owed to their Jewish brethren. And then we see Paul's determination. When, therefore, I have performed this. By God's grace, by God's will, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it done. And I've sealed to them this fruit, he says. I will come... I will come to you again. And his intention was to go into Spain. And if you know the story in the book of Acts, Paul was determined to go to Jerusalem and he received a prophecy from one of the, 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 the prophets who, who bound a coat around a, a, a belt around him and says, the man who's, who I put this on, he's going to be bound in Jerusalem. And the, and the brethren didn't want him to go. And they said, Paul, don't go. He says, look, I'm not only willing to go to Jerusalem, I'm willing to die there. Relentlessly determined. You cannot stop a man like that. 
When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you to Spain. Ancient seals were signs of authority, authenticity, and security. Paul was determined to personally secure and delivering this offering for the poor saints of Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting, okay? Usually in missions, it is the parent church sending money and support to the younger churches on the field. Here, it's the complete other way around. It's the young churches sending money to the parent churches. And you know what that tells me? God's mission model does not always square with our missions model. God does things differently sometimes. Right? I want to close with this, verse 29. And I am sure that when I come to you, Paul says, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I think he's referring both to the spiritual blessings that he hoped to impart to the Romans and the, to the blessings that they would impart to him because it's mutual. Yes. Paul's basically saying, listen, I, I want to come there and I, I want to bless your socks off. I, I want to, to give to you this offering that these dear beloved poor brethren in Macedonia who were suffering, this is how much they love you. This is the token of their love for you. But you know, this is the way it works. Right? It's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. And I just want to tell you, if you are always looking to take and not give, you will be a joyless Christian. Amen? The joy comes in giving. That's why it's more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, 35. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's not what you can do or what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. It's not what other people can do for you, but what you can do for them. Keep your commitments. Commitments are your word. Finish unfinished business. Don't let the good lay hold of you at the moment. The good must become the servant of the best. Choose the best things for you to do right now, right where you are. Young people, pray. We need you. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs you in your youth, in your good health, with all of the things that God has gifted and given to you. The church needs you. The church needs you to go and to tell the people of the world who have not heard about Jesus Christ. All I ask you is consider it. I'm too old to go. 
Many here are too old. Many of us have problems. We, we just, we can't. It's not practical. Imagine going 60 years old and trying to learn a complicated language. It's not easy. But young people, you can do it. Parents. Parents. Oh, but, but I want my child. Man, I don't want to lose them. Hmm. Surrender. They belong to God. Who are you to say you don't want to lose them if God says, I want them? I want them to go for me in my name. 